welcome to Living Freely Podcast, where our mission is to provide you with down-to-earth topics on mental wellness and realistic tips for living life more balanced and achieving optimal mental health. Living Freely Podcast is brought to you by Norfolk, Virginia Public Libraries and is hosted by myself, Rachel Ann Dine, licensed professional counselor with 15 years in the mental health field and very passionate about providing you with realistic strategies. With new episodes coming out weekly. Join in as I tackle relevant topics for personal growth, one podcast episode at a time. Be well and live well. Hi, and welcome back to Living Freely, the podcast. So happy that you have joined in today. With the holidays continuing to approach, I wanted to take some time today to go really deep into an explanation of family dynamics because in many ways, knowledge is power and having some insight into the information I'm going to share also allows for your own level of self-awareness to grow. And self-awareness is part of the healing process. It helps us learn to know ourselves a little bit better and especially understanding where you came from. So for today's episode, we're going to be talking all about signs of dysfunctional families, what the six main types of family roles are, and then of course, I'm going to give you some strategies to better feel equipped on managing any kind of family dysfunction that may be occurring. And hopefully by the end of this episode, you will have a clear-cut idea on okay, maybe I've just gotten used to this. Maybe the way that my family speaks to me, it's just normal because that's how it's always been, but I don't necessarily have to tolerate or accept that. So before I get into all of the signs of what family dysfunction can look like, I just want to validate, not that you're asking for it, but in case you needed it, in so many times and ways, whether it's through the media, through movies, through sitcoms that are on TV, we see these images of family and what family looks like and how they resolve conflict. And honestly, in a lot of in a lot of manners, it's not realistic. If any of you resonate or wonder, okay, I really get stressed out before I see my family. I feel high anxiety. I don't like the way they speak to me. You know, when you watch a holiday movie or really any of the sitcoms out there today, you're probably thinking to yourself, wow, I wish my family was like that, but that's not how it is. And you are not alone. Having a strained relationship with your family can be an isolating experience. It can really make you feel like you have something wrong with you. And so today I want to break the myth that you're not alone. There are definitely so many people out there with strange relationships, or maybe you've always wanted to have a healthy relationship with your mother or your father, but they're absent, whether literally, physically, you have never met them, never spoken to them, or emotionally. You know, you're an adult and they've never once told you how proud they are of you or that they love you. These are all common, common experiences that if you were to really Really dig around and people were very forthright about their family experiences and weren't just posting 
you know, the happy images on social media or the movies weren't portraying this, if people were putting all of their business out there, you would come to find you are certainly not alone. So having dysfunctional family relationships can definitely pop up in our lives. And like I said, with the holidays fast approaching, whatever your belief system may be, there can be holiday gatherings or lack thereof. And So today, let's dive in. Let's talk a little bit about the definition of a dysfunctional family. Found a wonderful article on supportive.com, family drama, dysfunctional family. So a dysfunctional family is formally defined by conflict, misbehavior, or abuse. Sometimes relationships between family members are very tense. They can be filled with neglect, whether it's that physical neglect or emotional neglect, yelling, screaming, name-calling. And like I've already mentioned very lightly, is that if this has been a rather consistent pattern of communication between you and your family, there's always been screaming. You've always been called stupid or name called even to a you know higher level. Um, you might start to think, okay, this is just how it is. It becomes normalized. That's the interesting part of being human is after a while, It's almost like in an abusive relationship. Um, The abuse is never normal, but after receiving it for so long and so many years, it can start to feel like, okay, this is what all relationships are like. And so I want to break that down and tell you absolutely not, whether it's family or your romantic partner or a friend. Abuse or neglect or emotional abuse, name calling is never okay. So in a dysfunctional family, however, there's really no open space to express your thoughts and feelings freely. You aren't even able to truly thrive and feel safe and supported within your own family. And so these are just kind of the generalized overarching themes that can pop up, but we're going to get into the nitty gritty right now. I always like to preface episodes and encourage you that this is not to be meant to be in lieu of receiving your own mental health therapy. In fact, if something comes up for you while listening to this episode today, I highly recommend reaching out to a licensed therapist or a mental health professional, www.psychologytoday.com or therapyden.com or goodtherapy.com are all beautiful resources for you to find a local therapist in your area to further process what some of these signs of dysfunctional family may mean for you, how it's shaped you in the here and now. So just wanted to put that out there and go ahead right off the bat and put out some resources for finding your own therapist should some of this information elicit anxiety or stress. So the first sign of a dysfunctional family is that if there is addiction present, so the American Addiction Centers found that about 45% 45% of the U.S. population has been exposed to some form of alcoholism within their family, which ultimately translates to about 76 million people 
and 26 million children. That's major. And anytime there's any kind of addiction, albeit alcoholism, drug use, it absolutely creates strife and dysfunction, as you may already know, if you grew up with a parent who abused drugs or alcohol. Sometimes It can lead to unhealthy relationships between you and a romantic partner, an unhealthy view of yourself. Sometimes the child gets thrown into being a parentified child because their parent is incapacitated due to the alcohol or drug use. So they have to learn from a very early age on how to take care of their siblings or pay the bills. Or maybe there's that added anxiety or stress on whether or not the bills will get paid. There can be this disruption in the family unit, especially if the alcoholism or drug use becomes so intense that the children or you as an adult listening to this remember even being removed from the home by a child protective services agency because your parent was deemed incapable. Any kind of addiction does absolutely cause that disruption in the family. We know from studying addiction and alcoholism and drug use, sometimes other family members to avoid conflict can even start to enable the addicted individual. So addiction is absolutely part of it. The other side of the addiction family member is that sometimes in lieu of being and having addiction issues or being deemed an addict in the therapy world sometimes we call this individual the identified patient or the identified problem I also on a side note I see this pop up a lot in the classroom setting so maybe you have a child who has ADHD or can be disruptive from that point forward they become the identified problem of the of the classroom and so that is their their name that they have to bear so anytime something negative happens your child gets blamed for it it's a common occurrence the same thing happens in the family unit maybe you had a sibling or maybe you were the person who really struggled with that form of with some form of addiction or some kind of behavioral issues maybe there was some anger management so anytime something negative went on in the home it was automatically blamed on that identified patient or the identified problem of the family. So it's an interesting how once a person gets labeled in this family dynamic, in this family role, that is kind of the cross that they have to bear for years to come. There can be corrective and emotional and healing experiences, but I share this with you just to illuminate how important these family roles can be. Sometimes with the addict or the identified patient, they can actually serve as a distraction from the family's other core issues. Each person in your family 100% serves a role, whether it's a healthy role or an unhealthy role. And we're going to talk about some tried and true family roles. There are six of them that come up. The addict is one of them, but I'm going to get into the others 
But essentially, when you're working with somebody or in your family having to deal with somebody who struggles from addiction, family members can really try to rally and get help for this one individual, and they may not feel that they have anything to do with their addiction, despite it developing from the dysfunctional family environment. So it's interesting, once this person who has addiction issues, really it it comes to light, maybe there's, as we all know, when it comes to having addiction issues, it can be a very secret, isolating disease. And so it may not ever even come to full fruition that your older brother or your father was addicted to prescription pain medication. They may have been functioning over the course of their lives, and then all of a sudden this information comes out. And so once the information comes out, the the person who's struggling with addiction may feel resistant to seeking treatment as their addiction ultimately protects the family and themselves from having to dig even deeper and deal with core issues. There are a lot of things that can happen, whether it's physical abuse, sexual abuse that has occurred, and sometimes once that that person who struggles with addiction, they may not even consciously realize it, they have then become that identified patient or problem. That is how the family function that's how the family functions ultimately. They all function around the dysfunction. And so by focusing all the efforts on the person who may be struggling with addiction, they're not talking about other abuses that occurred. They're not discussing emotional neglect. No, all the focus is on the person who is struggling with alcoholism or drug abuse. So just know that this is all part of it. Um, The addict may feel frustrated or angry that they're the only ones who are being identified as needing help within the family. So this can absolutely be a part of it. But to round out this first kind of sign that there is dysfunction present in the family, any kind of addiction is usually the first, not the first, but one of the key tenets. So we also know, and I could go on about this forever, and there's so much more information I got to get through, so I will leave it at this, but we know that having any kind of addiction can absolutely be genetically linked, and sometimes it can skip a generation. So if your grandpa struggled from alcoholism, maybe your dad didn't. He didn't have that same gene, but maybe you do. So keep that in mind as you are evaluating your own family dynamics. Definitely the addiction is a big one. So the second sign that there can be dysfunction present is that there are high levels of perfectionism that are expressed in the family unit. So they not only just damage relationships, they create these unrealistic expectations of how you're supposed to behave, how you're supposed to act. The pressure is placed on you, the child, to go, whether it's into a career field or occupation that you never wanted to go into, but families ultimately start to set themselves up for feeling like a failure or even experiencing anger because you've had these pressures placed on you. Um, So we know that with perfectionism, anxiety can really 
come forth. Um, a lot of times having perfectionistic tendencies, there is that underlying component of generalized anxiety disorder. And so there's always that sense of anxiety over not doing enough. This can almost even be a generational thing. Maybe you come from a family of business people or doctors or people in these professions that are deemed high achieving. And so automatically you're placed into that same position of, I have to go to medical school. I have to get this degree when maybe you want to be a journalist. Maybe you want to be a writer, and so you don't fit into the family expectation, and as a result, you're you're kind of looked at differently. So we all know that expecting everything to be perfect does put that high level of pressure on everyone involved, and so sometimes it can even be living with the knowledge that you'll never be good enough for your family's expectations which can definitely damage your emotional health in the long run. I also think about if you're the first person in your family to go to college or graduate high school, oh, wow. So then you've now become the family star, which we'll talk all about, but even more expectations can be placed on you. So just know if you're recognizing that there was a high level of perfectionism or these expectations that you have to be a certain way, this can breed resentment. It can breed anxiety, even in some cases, a sense of depression because you're feeling like you couldn't match up to what your family expected of you. All right. The next sign of dysfunctional family dynamics is that if there is abuse or neglect, present in your family unit. So I've already touched on this, but the difference between abuse and neglect is that abuse indicates active harm, like verbal, physical, or violence. On the other hand, neglect, and this is the one that often goes fully unnoticed, unaddressed, but this is where it's inactive harm either physical or emotional. So not being fed properly, withholding love, interest, attention, or in some cases, even validation. And so it's important to to recognize that abuse and neglect can be slightly different. Abuse is that active level of harm. So maybe you identify immediately that you grew up where you witnessed domestic violence between your family of origin, your parents who raised you, or maybe you're identifying that there was no emotional support. It was just kind of you out there trying to figure everything out. And that's that inactive level of harm. So the withholding of love, interest, or attention. So both abuse and neglect, as we all know, are extremely problematic. And it can greatly affect you as an adult just in having your own creation of a healthy relationship. The way that I most often see this pan out is that if you've grown up in a family unit where there was that abuse or neglect present, that sometimes you can start to seek a a romantic relationship with what feels familiar. Humans crave familiarity in a lot of ways. Um, Of course, you know, sometimes we like the novel experiences, but we're going to seek out what feels familiar. And that's where it goes back to sometimes this dysfunction 
can really be normalized across your life cycle. And you really start to get it in your head. Okay, this is what family's supposed to be like. And so as an adult, you do get the opportunity to kind of recreate the familial experience. And that's why I think that this episode is so important. Just to point out and empower you that if you're recognizing some of these, just knowing that you have that power to recreate what you want to see in your life. So abuse and neglect, definitely a big one. So now this is another one that can sometimes fly under the radar. Unpredictability and fear. It's hard to establish trusting relationships when you live in this constant state of uncertainty or fear. How do you feel emotionally supported if you're always on edge or feeling like you have to walk on eggshells? If you never know or you're never sure how your parents are going to respond, or you recognize that as a child, you always felt like you had to be that perfect little kid and do what was expected to you because you never knew from one day to the next how mom was going to be, how dad was going to be, and you're constantly anticipating conflict and feel like you can't express yourself honesty. Honestly, it really starts to not allow you to grow and develop your own individualized ideas because you're constantly trying to meet these unpredictable needs of the parent. So you even may start to try to avoid things that should be enjoyable, like vacations or holidays. Because even when you go on vacation or on a holiday or with the holidays coming up, you never know what you're going to get. And so it becomes that, once again, breeding ground for anxiety or even depression. So unpredictability and fear over treatment that you're about to receive or responses. This can come if you're making a big decision about your life, even as an adult. Even if you're fully financially supportive of yourself and you're finding that you're going back and you've just decided to make a career change and you're going to tell your parents about it, Feeling that sense of fear over how they're going to react, I mean, to some extent, yes. I mean, it, you know, we're, we're wanting, even as an adult, sometimes you can want approval from your parent, but if it goes on a much deeper level, you're scared of the criticism, the verbal put-downs over making a decision that you perceive as healthy for your life, certainly a sign of dysfunctional family behavior. Okay, so the next one would be conditional love. So dysfunctional family members may be very manipulative with their affection and they choose to only give love when they want something out of you. So maybe six, eight months out of the year, you never hear from your parent. But boom, if they run into financial hardship, they are calling you. They're being so sweet. They're they're just saying that they've missed you. They've been so busy. But can you give me $1,500 or whatever it could be? This is definitely a form of conditional love. It's certainly not the, the antithesis of conditional love or the opposite of conditional love is stable love. So that no matter what, you always feel, for the most part, supported and cared for and loved by your family. Whereas that conditional love, it's if somebody else in your family, and it doesn't just have to be a parent, it could be a sibling, it could be an aunt, an uncle, whomever. But if they're only reaching out to you for their own gain, absolutely, this can be a sign of conditional love. 
Now, this is a huge one, okay? So boundaries is such a hot topic word, but a lack of boundaries is definitely an indication that there can be dysfunctional family dynamics. So examples of a lack of boundary within the family unit can include a parent who is just so controlling, a parent who makes life decisions for you and ignores your opinions. Lack of boundary can include an intimidating parent who actively discourages you from asserting yourself, developing your own autonomy or sense of independence, or even an older sibling who takes on the role as a parent. So maybe before you're about to make this big decision in your life, you've got a parent or an older sibling who swoops in and says, you can't do that absolutely not. You're not capable. You're not going to be able to manage it. This can definitely be a form of boundary infringement, especially if you've done just fine throughout your life. You're financially supporting of yourself. You're emotionally feeling better as an adult. And then to have somebody infringe upon your decision-making capabilities can be a sign of lack of boundaries. And then we've also got the other tried and true lack of boundaries on a physical level. So you've got a parent who consistently just stops by your house or a family member, and let's put it, it can be general, a family member who stops by, um, you're not prepared for their visit, you don't really want them to be there because they're going to be hypercritical. They're, they don't respect the fact that maybe you don't want to give money to them and they're just pushing, pushing, pushing. But the key tenant is that when it comes to lack of boundaries, no one really feels like they have their own space and nobody really is, respects each other's autonomy. So even if you come from a family that's very, very close, you're going to be different. People are all different. And Sometimes it gets turned on a family member for taking a different path in life, that you're now the black sheep of the family. But part of being a human is to recognize that we're all different. And even in romantic relationships, no matter how similar you are, you're still going to have differences. And it doesn't necessarily mean that anything's wrong with you. So when we do not respect each other's autonomy and level of independence, it can lead to unhealthy and even codependent relationships later in your life because at that point, you're really seeking validation because you already feel so different from your family that now you're gravitating towards people who, without their level of approval, you may be suffer in being able to function as an independent adult. So as you can see, these dysfunctional characteristics and, and traits can bear a great impact on who you are in the here and now. All right, last but not least, the other biggie when it comes to identifying dysfunctional family dynamics is poor communication. So this can come in multiple forms, but whether there's no sense of understanding between you and your family members, so you don't feel like you can voice your opinions, or there's always tension and you don't feel safe communicating with them because you know that if you communicate how you really feel, you will reap the wrath of whomever it is, whomever the other family member is, there's not that respectful dialogue that occurs. And 
Other forms of poor communication can be no one talks about their problems and instead everyone just sweeps the issues under the carpet. Sometimes there can be high levels of sarcasm, which is used to mask what's really going on and avoid talking about the real issue. Sometimes it can be stonewalling and just shutting you down. And so maybe you start to get the silent treatment if you have said or done something that your family absolutely does not like. When it comes to planning, it can surface in that nobody respects each other's time and preferences. So maybe you are just very stressed out from work or COVID, or whatever is going on in your life right now. There are so many different things to choose from that can bring about stress. But instead of your family respecting that, they're still placing these expectations. You're going to do what I say. We're not going to talk about it. You're just going to do it. This is definitely an indication that there are no open lines of communication, which once again, the communication patterns of family is huge. That's how any any ways that your family of origin, whoever raised you, how they communicated a lot of times as adults, we pick up on this. So whether communication included explosive communication, so lots of yelling, lots of screaming, it can sometimes become this intergenerational experience where whatever's modeled for us, we start to pick up on. The good news here, there is good news, and I'm going to say it again because I think it needs to be validated because this is a bit of a heavy episode today. Very, very real talk though, is that you now have the opportunity if these traits of negative family dynamics is ringing true for you, This is a a beautiful opportunity for you to recognize because that's the first step, recognition, and then start to recreate the relationships you have in your life and with yourself. So next, we are going to dive into what the six most common roles are in dysfunctional family units. So stay tuned. Here we go. Okay, let's dive into what these six dysfunctional family roles can most often be. This has been tried and true over so many years. This comes from a very, very old theory of family dynamics. And Murray Bowen was a huge proponent of family systems therapy. We won't get into his whole theoretical approach today, but I do want to go ahead and share. I did recover this information from family.lovetoknow.com about family values, six dysfunctional family roles, and their characteristics. So right off the get-go, these roles are often used to describe how the family unit functions. They're very interesting to me, at least. I find it to be very fascinating, but let's go get right into it. The first role is that of the scapegoat. So within a dysfunctional family, the scapegoat is cast aside and blamed for problems that may very well have nothing to do with them. It's similar to that identified patient or addict role, but in the scapegoat, The scapegoat is ultimately the child who is often very aware of their role in the family, and as a result, they feel rejected, unlovable, and isolated. In families with a parent or parents with narcissistic traits, the child who is the scapegoat is often pitted against this other 
form of a family member called the golden child, which we'll talk about. But the golden child is essentially the hero of the family. They're the child who can do no wrong. And so the scapegoat is often really pinned uh, as the one who has all of the issues. They're the child who didn't go in line with what the rest of the family wants them to be. And as a result, they're the one who gets kind of blamed for the problems. Examples of the scapegoat role can even be a child who's often sick, seen as weak, has any kind of chronic condition, a defiant child who's been conditioned to understand that negative attention is better than no attention from their parent or caregiver. I liken this even to the experience of the child at school who maybe they're not, they don't feel like they're getting a lot of attention at home. And so in school, they act out because they know they get to go talk to the principal. And it, it sounds in some ways, if you're just hearing this for the first time, it can sound backwards. And you could think, well, why would somebody want negative attention? Well, this can happen if there's kind of some emotional neglect occurring. You almost start to develop a mindset, well, negative attention is better than no attention. At least if I'm acting out negatively, I'm getting some kind of attention, some kind of validation or someone speaking to me or trying to help me in some way. So with the scapegoat, this individual may get into trouble in school or academically and socially. They may experience more and or harsher abuse or punishments compared to other siblings or family members. So like we've said, once again, the scapegoat can be the person who may be identified as the problem of the family, but they can also be identified as the black sheep. Oh, your sister, she just doesn't fit in with us. She's so unusual. She chose to live her life that way. So they're they're bad, they're angry, um, they're not good enough, and it can be a lot of times because they're different. So the scapegoat can often feel, like I've alluded to, hurt, rejection, shame, or feels like they just don't have a role in their current family. Okay, so that's that is really the the true essence of the family dynamic role one. Next, we've got the caretaker. So the caretaker, otherwise known as the enabler or the martyr, often attempts to keep everyone within the family happy, even if it means denying any real issues at hand. Any of the real issues that are occurring, instead, they're going to put their own needs aside and they are going to caretake. So both children and adults can play this role, which ultimately continues to deny the experience of dealing with whatever central issue may be occurring because the caretaker or even the mediator, that's sometimes what that person can be called, is the mediator. They're coming in. They're trying to mitigate issues. Maybe they're hearing both parents talk. They're right in the middle. They're they're just the peacemaker. And... A lot of times being a caretaker, you can develop high levels of anxiety because that's a lot of space that you're having to hold to play family counselor or always try to be in good graces with everyone. So the caretaker does have the role of keeping the family balanced, but often it's to their own detriment. So, and it actually can prevent the family from healing and moving forward because we know anytime that there's that enabling that's occurring, it doesn't allow the person who maybe is exhibiting 
quote unquote bad behavior or addiction to get full help. It doesn't allow them to take full responsibility for their behaviors. So a couple ways and examples of how the caretaker can manifest is that a caretaker can be a parentified child. So stepping in when one or both parents are unable to manage due to addiction, mental health disorders, chronic health conditions, things of that nature. And the caretaker can also be an adult acting in a very codependent manner and attempting to manage the family's problems right away without anyone else dealing with them or the negative consequences. So they're going to swoop in. I even, the first example that comes to my mind is even there's a family member who rather consistently has to go to jail. And so that caretaker, without really, you know, checking in with anybody else, they immediately go, they pay the bail, that person comes out. And the consequences aren't experienced. That may be a harsh example, but that is one that I think about. Or somebody has consistently engaged in their addictive behavior, and that caretaker just goes right to the house that the person is at and kind of rescues them. And a lot of times the caretaker means well. They really do. And they're trying to help the family out and protect their family members. It's a heavy role to play though. I I will definitely tell you that. It's a heavy role to play as an adult. That's when the anxiety comes in or even not feeling good enough. Children who grew up in that caretaker role may unconsciously be drawn to partners who have issues with addiction, chronic health conditions, mental health issues. They may struggle with self-esteem, like I've said, that anxiety, depression, because they're continuing to take on the issues of everyone around them. So if the caretaker acts out due to their own sense of anxiety or or just the emotional burden just boils over, the family can kind of start to fall apart a little bit because now the roles of the family are disrupted. So by acting to keep the family together, it it really they're acting to keep the family together because that has been the role that they've been assigned to. But once they step out of that role, like I've said, that's when the issues can ensue because nobody knows how to act. Nobody knows how to handle if sister all of a sudden gets really upset that she's always the problem solver. So that's the true essence of the caretaker. Next, we've got the hero. Now, the hero appears to be very high-functioning, very well-balanced individual who the family can point to as the solid example of success. The hero is the person who really backs up the family's facade that everything's good. They're doing great. You know, um, your brother, your sister, even your mom. Uh, Maybe they have the well-performing job. They're well-respected in the community. And so from all outsets, the hero looks like a great person. So unfortunately, the hero allows the family to continue perpetuating the notion that everything's fine. Well, we've got one kid that turned out good, so we're doing pretty good. Despite there being some other serious issues that could be going on within individuals as well as the entire family system. So once again, the hero... Some examples is that the hero could be a child who may have been parentified. We see a lot of parentification when it comes to these family roles, and they could be taking on the role of spouse when one of their parents is physically or emotionally unavailable. 
So by by that, I mean they can be the one who's being the listening ear. So maybe mom was dissatisfied with her marriage. And so instead of talking to a friend, she talked to the hero of the family because from all outsets, the hero appear, appears to be well-balanced and could manage hearing that information. So it puts them in a role of carrying a high level of responsibility. In addition, the hero may feel immense pressure to once again carry that family's appearance of success and achievement. They may continue to insert themselves to help resolve familial issues. Some of the outside traits looking in is that the hero can be placed in this role of having to be perfect, can't be wrong, gets all the positive attention, the awards, the degrees, but underneath, when you are thrust into the hero role, there can be a huge, huge fear of failure, feeling over-controlled. It can manifest itself into being more of a workaholic, physical illness, being controlling yourself, not having much fun, being very prideful, or not even addressing that there's unresolved shame going on underneath. So the hero is definitely a huge component of family dynamics. But now let's move on and let's talk about the mascot. So in the family, the mascot is the funny, cute one. And that for lack of a better word, the mascot uses humor and goofiness to distract from serious issues. They may feel immense pressure to step in when situations become tense and volatile. So when they start to really diffuse and lessen the stressful situation successfully, this only reinforces the pressure on them to continue to, to be the funny, outgoing one who distracts the family from their issues. So how this can manifest is that the mascot may interrupt volatile situations with humor. They act from a place of almost feeling anxious. You know, I can't bear the uncomfortability of the tenseness of this situation, so let me crack a joke. They may also experience bouts of depression because nobody can be just the clown or the mascot all the time. It does it does add up. It's a lot of pressure to always be the shining light, that happy-go-lucky kid of your family, especially as an adult because we know the older that we get, the more that life stressors can add up. So the clown or the mascot – once again, they're seen as the funny one. They're doing anything for a laugh. They're cute, maybe even a little immature. They often will hide their pain with humor. They, they Underneath it all, they may feel scared or inadequate. So their role is ultimately to bring that sense of comic relief to the family, which inadvertently does help the family to avoid issues, which may not always be the best thing because in families, we have to talk about, we have to have that open sense of communication, not hide behind being funny or cracking jokes or being sarcastic. There has to be those real conversations for growth to occur. So last but not least, I believe this is last but not least. Yes, we do have the lost child role. So the lost child ultimately attempts to blend into the background as much as possible to keep themselves safe and to avoid rocking the boat. So sometimes in 
family sibling dynamics, I could maybe liken the lost child to, you know, we hear that the middle child is the one who's different from the family, or maybe they just kind of get lost in the shuffle. The oldest child has a lot of pressure on themselves to be that hero, to be the achiever of the family. And then the youngest child is sometimes considered to be the baby. They're the cute one. They're sweet. They're the favorite. And so this isn't, this is just my own observation over the course of doing therapy, but sometimes the lost child can sometimes be that middle child. And like I said, they they attempt to blend into the background. They don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to make any waves. They're just going to go about their business. And as a result, they may not really develop their individuality. So the lost child can sometimes feel ignored, neglected, and scared to draw attention to themselves, especially if there is abuse going on in the household. Parents may use them like the hero child, to exemplify how great the family is doing since ultimately the lost child isn't causing any trouble. So some of those descriptive characteristics of a lost child are that they may be described as a loner and they may have difficulty developing social skills or even self-esteem. They can be almost ignored, very quiet, love animals, material possessions, be very artistic. You know, they have to learn how to kind of entertain themselves. So they're going to reach for artistic expression, things of that nature. Sometimes can have learning disabilities. And on the flip side, what you may not see overtly is that there are almost the experience of frozen feelings. So once feelings are starting to be discussed or triggered, They have a lot of difficulty expressing what they're feeling because they've been so used to just going along with emotions, not not throwing any waves into the situation that when it comes time for them to identify and address their feelings, maybe they're so far removed from experiencing or allowing themselves to experience feelings that they really struggle with being able to. So really quickly, once again, we've got the hero who is the one the the family member who's perfect they can do no wrong gets positive attention has de- degrees awards you know any kind of accolades then we've got the scapegoat so bad they're considered bad angry impulsive the black sheep of the family they don't feel like they fit in we've got the lost child this is the child who can or as an adult you know maybe you felt ignored you're pretty quiet you felt invisible loves animals material possessions is very artistic has trouble identifying emotions and then the clown or the mascot so the family member who is funny hysterical, cute, doing anything for a good laugh just to keep the tension away from what's really, to to lessen the tension and kind of break it with a sense of humor. All right, the final kind of caveat statement, caveat role, and this is a bonus, is the golden child syndrome. So much like the hero, the golden child syndrome is often seen within families who may have a parent with narcissistic personality traits or full-blown narcissistic personality disorder. So the parent or caregiver with narcissistic traits often favors the golden child who really represents all that the parent loves within themselves. So 
The relationship with the golden child can often be volatile with a transfer of parent-to-child love on a very conditional versus unconditional level. Some signs that golden child syndrome is occurring is that the child or you as an adult recognize that you had difficulty becoming your own self. Or maybe you participated in that emotional abuse or abuse of others within the household just to protect yourself from the parent. May experience emotional abuse in a way where the parent framed it as love. You know, I wouldn't call you names, but I'm just trying to make you strong. Really kind of those manipulative ways that sometimes people try to justify or rationalize abuse. So... The family roles can definitely pop up from time to time, but guess what? There are absolutely ways to manage and learn to kind of dissipate or deal with the dysfunction that may be occurring in the family with the holidays coming up. These are going to be so important, especially if you're coming face-to-face with a family member who you felt like was a bit abusive to you. So First of all, we've got to understand how did this dysfunctional behavior affect you growing up? If any of what I've talked about today resonates with you, start to understand and be able to notice and label when dysfunctional behavior is occurring. The second step would really be recognizing the stress, anxiety, or even other symptoms that the behavior may be causing you. Do you feel that internal sense of pressure being placed on you? Maybe it's not even overt. Maybe nobody has ever even come to you and said, you better always act right. But maybe that's just the pressure that you placed on yourself. It's very common for these traits to really pop up in Once you've developed that family role growing up, you carry it on as an adult. So really starting to notice and label when behavior is dysfunctional is going to be very key to managing how you set healthy boundaries, which is our next great, great way to start to heal and recover. So setting boundaries with dysfunctional family. Once you realize, okay, there have definitely been some dysfunctional family dynamics in my family, some of the boundary setting that may come about is saying no to spending time with family members who make you feel uncomfortable. Yes, you are allowed to say no. Asking a substance abusing relative to not use around you in your house, not use around your children is 100% acceptable. That is the beauty of setting boundaries as an adult. You get to decide what makes you feel healthy, safe, content, and secure. And it does not make you a bad person if you know that a family member, maybe even they're coming to a holiday gathering and you know that they have a drinking issue and you request, hey, I can't have you drinking around my family because in the past things have become escalated. Maybe they've broken something in your home. Maybe they've started becoming angry or volatile. You're allowed to set a boundary. And you're also allowed to finish speaking without being interrupted and voice it. So when it comes to setting boundaries, as an adult, I really want you to be encouraged to list out what's okay and what's not okay. What makes you feel, again, safe, secure, and content? And it's really important to identify this to yourself and be able to name it. So you're allowed to always take a break. So just like cutting out 
things in our life that we could possibly be allergic to, (laughs) whether it's something in your diet or, you know, uh, having a pet. You're allowed to take a break from spending time away from certain family members And it can help you identify where your stress is coming from and what you need to adjust in that relationship going forward. Just like in in creating a diet, if you notice that you're allergic to almonds, you're not going to eat those almonds again or those nuts. You're going to make some concessions in your own life to navigate eating a food that causes an allergic reaction. Well, It may not be the nicest way of putting it, but you're absolutely allowed to take a break so that you can figure out how to navigate dysfunctional family dynamics. In fact, it's almost vital for your mental wellness and emotional health. Now, the next kind of encouragement I would offer you is to write out what you would like to see happen, how you're feeling. Maybe it is the holiday season and you're already anticipating strife and stress. Journal it out. There is so much power in listing out how you feel. This does not have to be the traditional journaling either where you're sitting there writing five pages at a time, 10 pages. No, you can bullet journal. So you're literally just saying, how do I feel? anxious. Why do I feel anxious going to have Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner? or Hanukkah, or whatever your holiday celebration may be, and just going ahead and identifying those feelings, and then how will I set healthy boundaries? What will I do if the family dynamic becomes toxic? What? How am I going to handle that? And just creating your own game plan. The next is in difficult conversations with your family, using I statements to really own how you feel. Owning how you feel is very important in overcoming family dynamics. If you felt lonely, if you felt that there was emotional neglect or abuse, really even to yourself saying, I do not feel like I received what I needed growing up. Even if you never verbalize this to the family member who's dysfunctional, owning it to yourself is a key to overcoming. Because if we can't own our emotions and how we feel, they don't necessarily get resolved. So using I statements, especially if something happens at a holiday function or surrounding these next few months or future interactions, you're always allowed to say, I don't like the way you're speaking to me. I don't feel comfortable. Even when it comes to maybe with COVID, you are extremely anxious about going to a family gathering of 25 people. Maybe you guys like to have a huge family gathering and you're nervous. You don't want to go. You're always allowed to say, I don't feel comfortable going this year because of everything going on. Boom. That's it. So focus on how you feel. Focus on identifying the behavior. I don't feel comfortable eating a big meal. That's the behavior because of COVID. And and expressing yourself assertively. Last but not least, this is a twofold. Feel empowered to share with others who understand. So having friends as an adult, they really start to become almost your family, the family that you never have and had in some ways. Friends can be a wonderful resource for venting, getting advice. But just remember, they might not always be able to identify with your struggle. And 
here's the thing. If you have noticed that there is addiction running in your family, there are great resources like Al-Anon, which is a volunteer-led group therapy option for friends and families of alcoholics. So you will be with other people who come from similar situation, hopefully, and can identify with where you're coming from. But on the flip side, having good friendships where you can be vulnerable and real and identify, I feel really stressed about the holidays. It's always difficult for me. And you're met with a non-judgmental, supportive stance. Those kinds of friends are golden. Last but not least, I am going to just share, this was the other half of sharing, is to seek out assistance from a professional, whether it be a therapist, whether it be you know a licensed clinical social worker, someone who's in the therapeutic field and profession who has the techniques and skills to be able to help you manage any stress or anxiety that's coming up as it relates to family dynamics. We're all in a stressful time period right now, dealing with family, even recognizing, oh my gosh, I did have some negative family dynamics growing up. My family is a bit dysfunctional. It can be difficult. This is your opportunity, as I keep saying, to recreate your life, your relationships, your mindset, even your self-esteem and self-confidence as an adult. You now have that opportunity and the power to do so. So be empowered. Knowledge is a great step in creating that self-awareness. I'm going to end today's episode with how I started it. Self-awareness is always key in your own personal growth journey. Again, feel empowered to find a local therapist near you if any of these topics have resonated. And as always, I want you to live well, be well, have a wonderful holiday season, however that may look, whether it's with family or with alone, take care of you. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to Living Freely Podcast, where we are bringing you all of the down-to-earth and realistic information on achieving optimal mental health. Like what you've heard, consider giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts so that we can be enjoyed by other listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We will see you next week.